Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari, and this is Great Big History Podcast. We continue our series of History 102 with world cinema and world culture after World War II. So after World War II, Europe is poor. It's been bombed. It's occupied. It's been crushed. It's been looted. Germany is on fire or a smoldering wreck. Eastern Europe has been ground up. Northern France has been destroyed by two wars. And with French cinema, that poverty actually creates a cultural renaissance. See, Europe can't be a military power anymore. It's occupied by the United States and the Soviet Union. It's not an economic power because it's bankrupted by the, by the world wars. Britain, for example, is in austerity to the 50s for another decade. So having won the war, Britain is still so poor they can't feed itself as a country. And so this poverty forces Europeans to have to invest in culture. They can't invest in economics. They can't invest in um, world empires. They can't invest in the military. So it's to do more with less. So how do you make a space? Europeans have to carve a space out for themselves, especially the French, because remember, France is the leading country in Europe since the end of the Roman Empire. Till, well, at least the end of Napoleon. And, you know, it doesn't really feel like it's lost that much power until 1871 when it's defeated uh, by the Prussians, the Germans, in that war. But then they get revenge in the First World War. But there is no doubt after 1940, France has been defeated. And so having led Europe for a thousand years, what does it do? It's clearly not as rich or powerful as the United States or the Soviet Union. It was defeated and crushed easily by the Germans in 1940. And so what role is France or Belgium or Scandinavia or Italy? What are they going to where are they going to be? And so the idea is to do less with more. And that's how we get French New Wave. Movies like 400 Blows, Breathless, Jules et Jim. They shoot movies on the cheap. There's few actors. There's easy sets. These are the original indie movies. Look at our little, our little piece. Our little gif. You have an actress. You have an actor. What, what's their costumes? Ordinary clothes. Where are they? They're walking down the boulevard in France, and he goes, she goes, what are you looking at? He goes, what are you looking at? And she goes, nothing, just looking at you. Like, that's the dialogue. It's easy. It's, it's supposed to be real. The idea of this is that it's cheap to make, and you're telling individual stories. You're making movies um, cheaply, and you're telling small stories. That brings us to James Bond. James Bond is British culture and style. And the idea is we're better than the American. We're better than the American money. In fact, that's, that's a core part of Casino Royale. The first, the first novel is that James Bond is a better card player 
than the Americans, but the American CIA agent has a lot more money and so can stay in the game longer. It is, we won the war. We won the First World War. We won the Second World War. And we're still poor. This, the sun is setting on the British Empire. But we don't have, but we're not France either, and we're definitely not Germany. So the idea is we're culturally better than the Americans. We got to, as Churchill is supposed to have said, we have to be Athens to America's Rome. We have to teach them how to be civilized. And so it's one Brit in a tux. Now, it's very important that Sean Connery is Scottish. He's not English. So he's British. The idea is England is made up of uh, England. The United Kingdom is made up of England, Wales. Scotland, and Northern Ireland. And so it's important that he's not English, which is the majority ethnic group. He's Scottish. And it's him with a tux, with a gun, with a cool car, and he can seduce and save the world. He does, You don't need, the British don't need armies because the age of the British army is over. They don't need nukes because the Americans... And the Russians have so many nukes that even if you have a few nukes, who cares? You don't need a giant empire. You need Sean Connery. And he can save the world better than the Americans can do. In fact, in um, Goldfinger, Sean Connery, James Bond, saves the American gold at Fort Knox, not the Americans. Time and again, it's a sexy... British dude saving the world essentially all by himself. With a little modern technology, but not backup, not an army, no nukes, not an empire. Igmar Bergman and um, Scandinavian cinema kind of invents the idea or not invents it, but brings to kind of fruition the idea that cinema can ask big questions. Remember, we talked about American escapism, and there are are questions in there, like what's the role of the system? But a lot of it was really about entertainment. I mean, there, there are stories being told, there's culture being told, but it's Igmar Bergman and Scandinavian cinema that really brings in classical art symbols and film story making. The idea is to make a new language for film. You're not being big and dumb anymore. You're talking about identity. You're talking about the, the, the Seventh Seal is an entire movie about death. So they're, they're playing chess. As long as I resist you, I live. It's the idea that people are intellectual enough to understand symbols and deeper ideas. That a lot of times advertising, a lot of times movies, they treat their audience as dumb. They'll give them the the basic, most obvious story and go, oh, here you go. Whereas Igmar Bergman's like, people aren't intelligent. I'm going to treat them as intelligent. I'm going to tell them adult stories and use adult symbols this is very much inspiring the u.s indie movies of the 1970s so if the style is french new wave you get one camera one light two lights 
two actors and you shoot in someone's bedroom and you just have them talking about like stuff. Like, what are you going to do today? Let's film it. Right. That's that's Reservoir. That's the opening of Reservoir Dogs, where they have an entire conversation about the nature of tipping, whether or not it's good to tip. That's Quentin Tarantino again, and all of these movie makers. Win, uh, Wim Wenders, and movies like Metropolitan and Barcelona. They're Woody Allen movies in the seventies. These ideas that you you have people just talking, 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 talking about life. That's the style. French New Wave is the style of the U.S. in the movies of the seventies, but their language. The language of Taxi Driver is very much Ingmar Bergman. The language of the the Godfather is Ingmar Bergman. The color palettes, the annotations on death and life and birth. Bollywood, Indian movie industry is known colloquially as Bollywood. It's the Indian movie industry. Bollywood is the idea that non-Westerners can make culturally relevant cinema. See, we just talked about American cinema. We talked about the French and the British and now the Scandinavian, the Swedish. Well, those are all European. They're all Anglo-American Europeans. They're all white people. Bollywood is the proof that people of color can make awesome cinema too. And in fact, how Bollywood goes about it, especially in the earliest days, was... They take the Western ideas, and the example we would be showing in class would be Pride and Prejudice. It's a Western story, and they make it Indian. So that it's a reverse colonization. Rather than having it being forced upon them and them having to take it in an English context, what these Indian filmmakers do is take the English story and turn it into an Indian context. They make it their own. They add dancing, native dress, native values to this European story. In fact, in this version of, of Pride and Prejudice, they literally have an American who has to be told what's going on. So as it's a way of introducing white people to Indian culture through this Pride and Prejudice storyline. And then they move. Then once having done that, once having told, gotten their feet and the technology down and getting the storytelling methods down and getting the beats down, because making movies is hard, man. Have you ever tried to make a movie? Like, making movies are hard. You have to do the lighting. You have to do the actors. You have to do the script. You have to do, you have to do scene after scene after scene. You have to get it right. And then you have to edit it all together so it makes effing sense. Like, there's a whole language, there's a whole style, there's, as we just talked about, but there's also processes, there's technology, there's all of this infrastructure that's needed to make a movie. And so the easiest way, and it's like little kids telling stories, is the easiest way is you, you borrow somebody's, you make it, you learn how to do it, and then you can move on to making your own. And so fairly quickly, Bollywood starts making movies that are Indian stories, and they're doing it with confidence. Bollywood is the largest movie industry in the world. It makes more movies than anybody else. It makes much more movies than Hollywood. So not only does it make 
European stories and turn them into Indian stories. It makes Indian stories and it makes a lot of them. So for a newly independent country that is relatively poor, given all of its its possibilities, as we'll talk about in other lectures, given all the possibilities, the size of India, Pakistan, of South, of South Asia, the size of the cultures, the, the numbers of the people, um, it takes a little bit. But by the 60s, especially by the 80s, Bollywood is completely on its own. It's confident. It knows what it's doing. It's creating movie stars. That really gets going in the 60s. But like I said, by the 80s, the people who have been doing it have been doing it for 10, 20, 20 years. They know what they're doing. And so now, here we are in the 20, 2000s, and India and Bollywood can make a $100 million movie. They have, they've had a few in the last couple of years. And you, that's a major special effects driven. That's lots of extras. That's whole amounts of things. The costumes and the... It's a $100 million movie. Like, you have to get $100 million to make a $100 million movie. And that's to show this confidence in South Asia. What about Nollywood? What about African? The Nigerian African movie scene. It's known as Nollywood because it's based mostly in Nigeria, though there are other, other countries that have their own woods as well. Um, Nollywood is, shows that the cost of technology as time has gone on from the 60s when, when Nigeria got its independence has come down. And education on how to make movies has spread so that by now, by the 2000s, anyone can make movies. And what Nollywood was based upon was theater and TV. Those were the seeds. Those were how Africans learned how to make stories, how to produce these stories. Like everybody knew how to tell a story. But now how do you tell a story for the theater? How do you build a set? How do you make the audience? How do you, what do you charge? How do you pay the actors? Um, how do you direct the movements on stage? And then you move theater into TV. Very, this is true for Americans. Like the invention of TV, most early TV was actually plays. They're, they're, they're actually called screen plays for a reason. They were known as a play, a cinema play. That it wasn't a TV show. So they shot it. They filmed it. They, the people who knew how to make this stuff were actually theater people. And so they hired theater people and said, here's new technology. Do what you do. Just do it on television. Do it with cameras. And so early TV looks like plays. Well, that's what Nollywood looks like. Because they, they're following the same evolutionary development. So you have theater and TV that seed movie productions and it's consumption for a small screen. So the Nigerian audience, the African audience watches these movies on the television and then now on their phone. The movie industry, like you go and there's a 500 people in an audience and there's a 70 foot screen, that costs too much money. And you have the air condition, all of that, right? The popcorn, like the American way of going to the movies doesn't translate as easily in Africa, given the infrastructure. But television, and now the smartphone, is an easy way. So, so one of the 
crit- criticisms of Nollywood from non-Nollywood fr- fans is, oh, it looks like television. Well, that's what it's being developed for. It's cinematic, but it's made for the consumption of a people who consume most of their things on the small screen. Now, Nollywood is the second to Bollywood in movies produced and produces more than 3,000 films a year. So again, the cost of the technology has come down, but you also now have acting and acting schools. You can get people, you can get directors, and you can make these films cheap, 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 and get them out and distribute them. Cinema, what Nollywood shows is that cinema can relate unifying values to a diverse and divided country. Nigeria was created in decolonization, which we'll talk about, by the English. It smushed peoples who were never lived together together. There is no Nigeria. It's a creation. It's a modern creation. So you have the Muslim people in the north. You have the Christian people in the south. You've got all these different ethnic groups that speak all these different languages. How do they live together? How do they not just break apart? How do they not kill each other? And so what Nollywood tries to do is show those unifying values. Your family relationships. Everyone has problems with their mother-in-law. Everybody. Everyone's going to have problems with their mother-in-law. Right? Everybody's got children. And the children's problems are the same. Right? He's got bullies at school. And he doesn't want to eat his vegetables. And he doesn't want to go visit grandma. And because, you know, grandma's a pain in the butt. And, you know, there's issues of masculinity and femininity. What is it to be an... What is it to be a Nigerian? What is it to be a Nigerian man? What is it to be a black man in this world run by Europeans and Americans? What is it to be a woman? What is it to be a black woman? What is it to be an African woman? What is it to be a Nigerian woman? How do you how do they relate to each other? So you get from Nollywood an African perspective on Africa that's not filtered by Anglo-European ones. Almost all the news I get, the closest I get to an African perspective on what's going on in Africa is Al Jazeera, which is not African. But that's the closest I can get. Otherwise, most of the news I get is filtered through NPR or NBC or various different Western New York Times. Now, they might be giving me African quotes, they might give me the African perspective, but it's always filtered. It's not pure. Nollywood is pure. It's made by Africans for Africans, and it doesn't involve the Anglo-European view. It's not filtered. And it's one of the few ways Westerners can engage in African culture directly without that filter. So what are the results of world cinema? The results are stories and cultures, despite the world wars, continue to thrive. People want to hear stories. They want to participate in stories. They want to, they want to be touched by stories. Technology, especially digitalization, allows for ease of access to consumption. Everyone's got a smartphone and creation. Cameras have gotten smaller. Cameras have gotten cheaper. Identity is the most important part of the cultural strength. Who are we? What do we believe? Why do we believe it? And then playing that out in a story where characters tell you, this is who I am. 
This is what I believe, and this is why I believe it. It's also, especially in a world after 1965, that's uh, so much movement and immigration of people to Europe, to America, to Africa, to from Asia, or especially South Asia, or the Middle East, Southwest Asia. Cinema reflects the culture creating the movie and the culture consuming it so that native cinema allows immigrants to connect to their home culture. See, an American movie can't be made by anybody else. An American Marvel blockbuster supergiant movie can't be made by anybody else because it reflects all of the values, all of the beliefs, all of the economics of America. It is an American movie. Everything else is just a cover. They, they can make a big movie. They can make an expensive movie. But they can't make an American expensive movie. Only Americans can do that. So, this allows immigrants to connect to their home culture. Just like we talked with Bollywood, it's kind of the purest distillation of their culture that they can get when they're not home. Because even the food, and you go, oh, the food. I've had Ethiopian food where you eat with the bread and you put the meat on it, right? And you sop it up like a nice sponge. And it's, it's brilliant. It's delicious. But any Ethiopian will tell you, it's not as good as home. Why? Because it's made with the ingredients that you can get in the West. It's the difference between, uh, it's not even the difference between Chinese American food and Chinese Chinese food, but it's the, even Chinese food in a Chinatown is not the same as you would get in China. Sushi in America is nowhere close. Even with the best sushi, it's not the same. Because it has to deal with the um, availability of the infrastructure. Cinema doesn't. Because cinema can be distributed as it was created, in the same form it was created, whether digitally or on film. So, for example, South Asians in New York City watch the same movies despite their complicated home pro politics. Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, and Indians all watch the same movies in New York. They go to the same video stores and watch the same movies because that's home. And it's the purest way of getting that connection to home is through these stories. Okay, thank you.